welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 334 and my conversation with the director of percussion activities at Texas A&M Kingsville, Ben Tomlinson. We'll check back with him shortly. And just like that, it's March and we're in week seven at Mizzou. This semester has flown by quite fast. We're gearing up here within the M2 bands for both the end of the regular season for men's and women's basketball, along with upcoming trips to the conference and NCAA tournaments. And then spring football. More to come very soon on all that. But right now, let's get to our conversation with Ben Tomlinson. We discussed this in the interview, but Ben and I met through my own appearance on the Percussive Arts Society's College Pedagogy Committee Facebook Live series last year where I was on to talk about podcasting and the percussion teaching profession. The session was hosted by Ben and previous podcast guest, Mike Sammons. Ben and I had a chance to chat then and made a deal to have Ben on this podcast at a later time. And here we are. Ben's been involved in the percussion field for much of his life. He has extensive teaching and performance experience, along with degree experiences that have put him in contact with lots of folks both known in the field and have been previous podcast guests, Omar Carmenatis, Scott Herring, John Parks, and Brad Meyer. We get to talk about all of those folks and items, including a lengthy discussion about building a strong and supportive marriage partnership in this interview. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on February 13th, 2023, and it begins... Right now. All right. So, Ben, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. Yeah. So, currently, I am the assistant professor of percussion at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. So, um, with that, I kind of serve in a director of percussion role. So, I, I oversee everything, which at my school is quite a bit. So, we have four concert bands, a symphony orchestra, four big bands, 250-person marching band, um, really anything that deals with percussion, I do do that. So, you know, we have a, a large percussion program, uh, so about 24 majors, so that, you know, me plus another uh, professor named uh, uh, Professor Christian Zavala, uh, who helps me out, and um, it's been great. So, uh, yeah, I oversee everything. I schedule everything. I do a fair bit of administrative work, but also teaching lessons. Um, right now, I'm not teaching the percussion methods course, but uh, and I'm not like super, super hands-on with the marching band uh, because uh, Christian does that. But uh, percussion ensemble lessons. And also, like, my university has, like, a cool thing. Since I am a first-year tenure track uh, faculty member, um, they have something called the New Faculty Investment Program, where they give me three hours of teaching release time. Um, and it's supposed to help ease new faculty in, even though I've already been teaching for six years. But um, so I don't actually have as much teaching load on paper as, like, a, a normal faculty member might. So um, that's kind of like a summation of what I do at Texas A&M Kingsville. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about getting the job. I think you had, th this is newly turned into this position, right? Like, weren't you visiting yeah. beforehand? Yeah, you know, and I, I was, I was visiting. And so uh, last year, so this is technically my second full year at Texas A&M Kingsville. I was visiting last year 
And it was kind of like a thing where it was, it was a late retire and they were hiring late. So I didn't get the job. Gosh, I think I interviewed in June and I knew, or maybe it was July. It might've been July. I don't remember, but it was really quick. And so I had to like move here and, and start really fast. And then like three days before band camp started, they called me and were like, Hey, or we lost our marching percussion instructor. So can you do that too? So I was visiting and now, and so I went through the year, uh, we went through the interview process again, and now this is my first year tenure track. I love it so far. And it's been great to be here. That year, mm-hmm. the, 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 your, your visiting year, what was the, you said you, that was, you were the marching band person. I was everything. Year? I was okay. everything. So what had happened is, you know, I, uh, the person that was here before me, uh, Randy Fluman, who was oh, yeah, here Randy. For 34 years and is an awesome yeah. guy. He's still in the area. Yeah. I talked to him pretty frequently. He retired and they had someone kind of like a local guy that was helping out with the marching percussion, as well as someone that would come in and teach like jazz drum set. And so I got hired and then like a week before classes slash band camp starts, the guy that was doing the marching percussion decided not to do it. And so then I got a call from the band director saying, how are we going to do about this? And then so, you know, I was just like, okay, I can, I'll do it. I have a pretty, you know, I have a marching percussion background, so I was able to do it. And so, yeah, like last year with visiting, I was doing pretty much everything on my own. We had someone come in to teach three overflow lessons, but our, um, our studio is around 15 to 17 and now we're at 24. So, I was doing everything, which was like intense, but also going through like the interview process and, and and coming into somewhere that, you know, you don't know and people don't know you, you're learning your colleagues, the students are trying to adjust to you. You're trying to adjust the students. And it, it was definitely an intense year, um, but totally, totally, totally worth it um, in the end, because I was able to interview for the tenure track job and I was able to win it and, um, thankfully. And so, yeah. And the the year was like, it was like, like what I said, it was super intense. I don't think it was like what I thought it was going to be. I'm, I'm happy that year is, is done. And now we're onto the, I'm on, I'm finally on the tenure track line, which is, which was great. So. Which, and was the goal. I was. Yeah. Which was the goal. And that's why I did it. And that's why I did it. So like I was teaching like kind of like an, uh, an adjunct, I call it like a super adjunct position because it's, it's a lot. And I was teaching up at Stephen of Austin state, which with Brad Meyer, which was also awesome, incredible and was great working with Brad. Uh, but you know, I, I wanted to have a tenure track job and I kind of saw like, you know, Kingsville has a great reputation in the area and the state of Texas and kind of fit what I wanted to do. And so I saw the, the visiting job open in the summer and I, I kind of immediately jumped on it. Um, with the intent of getting the tenure track job, but like, you know, those things, like it's never guaranteed, you know, never guaranteed. And so um, it was again, certainly an intense year to say the least. Um, But yeah, now we're now it's the tenure track gig and referencing back when you asked me about my duties, we have four concert bands, marching band, orchestra, four big bands. So we need a, a good amount of percussionists to support the school. Yeah. And so recruiting is a big part of the job serving as like the figurehead and for the percussion program and connecting with alumni and um, all that kind of stuff in the area. Um, I mean, we're also like a regional university. So we're, we're pulling probably, I would say 90 to 95% of our students from like within 120, 150 miles 
Um, very, you're all really far south, right? Very, very far south. And, and like, it's 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 definitely a unique area. It's a, it's a great area. So we're two hours south of San Antonio. So I, I actually just got off a of TMEA. Um, yeah. And so like, it was, it was awesome seeing all my friends last week, but uh, <laughs> like that takes a lot out of you. So like we're two hours south of that. Um, and Texas is so huge that you can drive like 13 hours and still be in Texas, but right. it's, it's South. So like a lot of times when people uh, think about Texas, you think of like Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and even Houston, it's kind of like the central Texas, but you know, we're, we're, we're down, um, two hours South of that near Corpus Christi, um, about 40 minutes outside of Corpus Christi. Um, and so that, you know, that's another thing is that the South Texas area doesn't always have a lot of, uh, people don't always get down here. And if they're going to take a tour, they'll, they probably usually won't get South of San Antonio. Another thing that's been really great is kind of hanging out and, getting to know all my other percussion colleagues down here in South Texas, like at Texas and Corpus Christi, UTRG guys down at UTRGV, uh, people over in Laredo at Texas A&M International, and then the great community colleges we have around here. Um, and that's something that we've kind of banded together and, and really tried to, to help pers- push percussion education. I know you were just talking about South Texas, but it, 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 it kind of, uh, it is, it, it's, it's South and it, um, you know, so if we, if you keep going about another hour and a half, two hours down you're at the border of mexico it's a really unique place and i really have enjoyed learning about it and um the people are great and so i I love it so far does that mean that your student base is uh, a lot of mexican-american students we are a hispanic serving institution so i would probably say i mean last time i looked it it was at least 70 percent hispanic um, every, we just did a, a survey with our school, every student in my, um, studio is Hispanic, every single one of them. Um, and also like we, we don't pull, like I said, we don't pull a lot from other areas of Texas. We have some from San Antonio, a lot from this area around us, a lot from the Valley, which is just South of us. And it's very rare that we get a student as far as Houston. So I was just talking about that with my student from Houston he's like the only one right now. And, um, so it's it's a unique situation. It's really it's really great. It's a really strong school of music. I feel very like blessed and um, happy to be here and working with great colleagues and um, students. Really, the students kind of make it. And like any job, I mean, the students are always really great to work with. And everything that you do as a teacher can is is because of your students' hard work. But um, it's especially here that you know. Besides the students, we also have this incredible new facility that we're able to work in, which is really, really great. I, I feel very lucky to be here. You have currently 24. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, does that maybe cover everything you need or do, would you actually need to be, is like 30 actually closer to what? I, so I think the magic number is about 28. Okay. And so like I, when I was interviewing, I was like, so we were, we were in a little bit of a low year, my first year, just because yeah. of, you COVID, a lot of things, COVID and retiring people leave and all that stuff. Yeah. A lot of these things happen. And so I was, I remember going through my interview and I was like, I thought I was so, uh, uh, slick when I was like, we're going to have 24 percussionists by fall of 24. Well, we have 24 percussionists right now in fall of 2022, spring 23. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it, that kind of goes back. We have a really strong alumni base in the area. So uh, that bit helps with recruiting a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have 24, four wait yeah 24 
And I think we're graduating one. Definitely going to increase the numbers. But to answer your question, we can get by in 24. The It would be nice to have about 28. And also that fourth band is kind of like, kind of like a university band sure. kind of setting. So where it's non-majors or secondary instruments. And so we're not really pressured to fill that band. <laughs> like we have a lot of trombone majors here. We have like 45 trombone majors here. Mm-hmm. So like that band is like secondary instruments and then like 15 trombones. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's like, like a lot of these university bands, the instrumentation can get kind of wacky, but we're able to kind of fill it up. But yeah, to kind of answer your question, I think probably about 28, which is probably the magic number. We'll see where we get to next year. You know, Crudy's looking good. We're, we're, we're excited about where the percussion program's going and um, having someone like Christian has been really great here where, you know, I, I actually did not anticipate needing to have him until mm-hmm. I saw the numbers that we were going to have. Like when I was looking in May, I was like, okay, we're going to have 24 people needing lessons and, I can't cover that by myself with marching, you know, marching band, percussion methods, percussion ensemble, all that stuff. And so it kind of made sense. Um, and he's actually a local alum. Uh, he's alumni and he did a degree in Miami and then he's a teaching fellow up at Bard. And then he came and did a master class for us last year. And so it was, he, he, uh, it was great to kind of get him to come back and he's been great. So, um, but yeah, well, I think 28 is the magic number 2830. So that's what we're looking to get right now. I was uh, I'm on your page at yeah. XAM Kingsville, and I and it occurred to me I was like, "There's a name I need to ask you about." Um, Brian Thacker, yeah, is I went to grad school with him at UNC Greensboro. Wow! So I I haven't seen him in like 20 <laughs> years, but I I mean knew him like you know relatively well. I'd say I don't know. You that, know. That's so funny because like this is the second time in like four days that someone's been like, Oh, you know, Brian Thacker, uh, I was at TMEA and I actually, yeah. I was at, I was, uh, I woke up early one morning cause I really wanted to go to this breakfast place, which is like my favorite breakfast place in San Antonio. And Nathan Daughtry comes yeah. walking down the street. And so we're talking and we, we actually had breakfast together, which was super cool. He's like, do you know, Brian Thacker? I went to undergrad. Oh, I think he undergrad with him. He, Nathan Greensboro, was there. Greensboro is that you all UNCG together? Yeah, he Nathan and I did our master's and doctorate. Okay, together. yeah. So it's like it's funny because I think it was on Friday that I he was like, do you know Brian Thacker? And now you're like, do you do you know Brian Thacker? So <laughs> yeah, so Brian, so that's actually really an interesting thing is um, Brian is our new sound recording technology professor, which is we're really excited about and. We're starting a new, we just, we actually, we already have started a new sound recording technology bachelor of music degree uh, because we have this brand new building with an incredible recording facility and all its technology is integrated throughout all the building. And yeah. so it's really, we feel really fortunate to have that. But Brian was hired as kind of like our first, our, our sound recording technology guru to kind of head this up and help develop the curriculum and recruit the students. So it's been really great having him here. And so we're actually first your tenure track faculty members together. So like, nice. like what I was saying with that new faculty initiative program, investment program, this is called, we have to go to a meeting on Friday. And so like Brian and I are just hanging out there. And <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really great because something we were kind of chatting about at TMEA is like, how can we leverage the sound recording technology program to help 
my percussionists that want to be percussion specialists uh should they take they need to know a lot about live sound for marching band right and that's just how it is today and so like that would be really neat to come up with we're still kind of just spitballing just like uh could we do some sort of certificate for percussion specialists so they take uh, 12 extra hours and a couple live sound classes another percussion pedagogy class that might be really geared towards helping them because that's a lot almost all my students are music education mm-hmm. and that's what's gonna you know a lot of them do marching band um or are going to do marching band yeah and so we're trying to leverage i think this this great opportunity um but also we have two sound recording technology majors in our studio right now um and so i think that program is just going to blow up so yeah brian brian's super cool we're really happy to have him and hope to really jumpstart our sound recording technology program in the next couple years so it's called the new faculty investment program they call it nfip and it's a really unique program and it's designed to help retain faculty um, and it started probably, they were telling us about it, 14 years or so. And it used to be two years that you got a three-credit teaching release from your load. So typical faculty, tenure-track assistant professor teaches 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm on the books for nine, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. It's like it, it takes a little bit away, like the load from there, because supposed, they're supposed to focus on your scholarly creative activities or your research-based activities and also getting to know the campus. So instead of teaching three hours, what we do is we have to go to this lunch meeting on Fridays. And so like the one on Friday, I just got an email about, it's going to be about grant writing and understanding how to do that. And in the fall, it was a lot of like bringing in different organizations from campus, like student wellness, academic technology, um, the provost's office, how to apply for tenure or, or, you know, how to, uh, submit your portfolio for tenure and stuff like that. And so the idea was to help um, to uh, retain faculty. And also Kingsville is a smaller town. Um, And so I think that can be, I didn't really have an issue with this because when I worked at SFA, I also lived in a small town. So I was used to it, but moving to Kingsville when there's not a ton of stuff can be, I think, jarring for some faculty. And so, being able to kind of have a cohort, there's probably about 20 of us new faculty, tenure track faculty specifically on campus across all colleges and schools. And um, it's pretty unique. I tell people about it and they're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's kind of crazy. It used to be two years and now they're just, now it's just one year. So it's cool that the, it's basically the university making an investment in us to, to try to retain us. And so they Basically, if we don't teach us three hours, someone else has to teach us three hours. So that it is an investment on the school's part. And that's something that's, you know, they're really trying to retain faculty and make them as happy as they can. And um, yeah, overall, is, it's been successful, I think. Is there anything that you're required to deliver at the end of this? <laughs> no. Okay. Not that I know. I don't think, I'm pretty sure not. And really, the only requirement of me is to attend these meetings, mm-hmm. um, the, which last about an hour and 15 minutes on a Friday and and they give us lunch. So it's like pretty, it's a pretty good deal, you know? Um, And on the flip side of that, I I think I had mixed feelings when I first started it because as like a, a, our, our, as university professors, our gig is so different than like an English professor. Right. So if you think about the NFIP from the, the 
from like any other academic teacher. It's like, instead of four classes, you're going to teach three. That's basically what it is. For us, it's like, I get to interact less with students because I don't, that basically I think equates to um, four lessons or so that are taken off my plate or like methods and two more lessons or something, you know, that's how that works. And so like when I'm in this mode of building up this program, establishing a vision, um, you know, all this stuff. And so to do that, that takes a certain, I think it's beneficial to be able to teach as much as I can. Um, But also I'm trying to support our other professors and not, you know, allow them to have more to teach. So it's financially feasible for them to, to, to work here. Um, And so it's kind of, it, it is, it's great. It's great. And I think it's a really cool investment on part of the university. And I think that it's kind of unique for me too, because I've been teaching college for six years mm-hmm. at this point. This is my sixth year teaching college. So I taught four years for S- at SFA. I did one year visiting now in the tenure track. Right. And so it's kind of like a unique situation where they're talking about, in, you know, I keep saying English professors. I'm like, feels like I'm dogging on them, but I'm not like English professors who can't teach. And I'm like, for us to get a job, I feel like you have to be a great teacher already. You know, for the most part, you have to have that teaching. You have to be able to connect those students to recruit them to come to your school. And every school is different. Every job's different depending on what they want. But um, at least in my school, they were going to, they wanted somebody that is a really great teacher as well as a really great performer and could do a lot of things because we we do everything here. Sorry, I keep, I feel that went a lot of places because you asked about the NFIP mm-hmm. and if, mm-hmm. if anything was expected of me at the end, but <clears throat> really all that's expected is me just to uh, be a good colleague and attend these meetings on Friday. Did they feed you? On those oh Fridays? yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's like dining hall food, which is, you know, yeah, I mean, it's free. So it's, it's you know, <laughs> but it, it's actually cool because I don't think I, all last year, I never set foot on the dining hall because mm. it's actually across campus. So we're on the edge of campus and this is actually the dining hall is almost on the exact opposite so I went over there. I was like, okay, this is where my students hang out. This is where, you know, it takes them six, seven minutes to walk over here and then six, seven minutes back. And so I, and so I, they see me there on Friday. Sometimes they're like, what are you doing here? Like, this is wild. And see teacher, they go back to like, you know, seeing your teacher outside of the classrooms, like a mean girls when they say it's like seeing the dog on the hind legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's what I, I get those looks sometimes when I'm in the dining hall and they don't expect to see me there. Yeah. No, I, I've been there. Um, <laughs> so tell me also about your work with the, is it the university pedagogy committee? What's yeah. the, uh, with CAS? Yeah. So this, I guess the second, let me, let me think about this. Yeah. So I started on that when I got the visiting position at here last year. So the cool thing is, uh, that's kind of headed up by Mike Sammons. And so it's been kind of something I've been doing related to service and helping out with PAS, which is super cool and super important. It's also let me meet a lot of people through university teaching. And um, I've already met a ton of people through PASIC and seeing other people. But uh, that's headed by Mike Sammons, um, who's been great. And he's he's really been tasked, uh, you know, kind of to tell you a little bit about what we do at the university committee. Is that like, they're talking about like, okay, we want this to be more than... I think a, what they call it, like a presentation or, or more than just whatever we do at PASIC. And so right. we've been doing um, 
like uh, spotlight interviews with uh, professors, like kind of the legends of our field. So we've interviewed John Beck. They've interviewed Jim Campbell. We've interviewed um, Tim Adams. We interviewed Mike. I think the last one we did in September before we geared up for basic was Mike Rosen. Um, and so kind of these guys that, you know, have been doing this a long time and could really speak and see current trends. Steve Schick, that was one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really cool to sit down with these people. And I was able to do that. Basic, we had basically a whole day of uh, that we did presentations. Um, we also did mock interviews for people who were in the beginning part of their career or were like at the end of their terminal degrees or something. So we would sit down and we did mock interviews with them, which was super cool. And then Something we did new this year is called our POP presentations, P-O-P-P, which we thought was pretty uh, cool. It was presentations on percussion pedagogy, P-O-P-P. And that was designed as these like quick flash sessions um, that were about 15 minutes each. And so we're able to get multiple people up there and presenting and talking about what they're interested in. Um, And it's really geared towards like beginning tenure track people who want to get those conference presentations because something that, you know, I, as a first year tenure track faculty member, being able to present at conferences really helps in your scholarly creative activity and understanding, showing other people what you're working on. But we have PASIC and that's about it for percussion, at least. And then there's, I mean, there's a national conference of percussion pedagogy, which is great. And there's some other ones too. Um, but, you know, there's for like clarinet, you have ICA, the uh, NASA for saxophones, and then the brass people all kind of present on each other's. And so it can be really difficult to get into PASIC to present. It's just, it's very competitive. And, and so this is a way for us to invite people to come and talk about 15 minutes on something pedagogy related and being able to get that line item and being able to put that on your tenure portfolio because that stuff for tenure track faculty members is important. Um, And that was really cool. Uh, And then we kind of had a a in-person spotlight interview with Mike Udow, which was really cool. Um, So it was like the committee is doing a lot of work and sometimes it like, because it's spread out over the year and it's spread it over like, you know, 10 people. It, it, you know, we also work kind of autonomously of other people. So there's other little things that we're doing and, you know, I'm kind of tasked on the interview committee and then there's other people that are tasked on, um, we also like, we also do the uh, things I wish I knew if you've seen that on Facebook Mm -hmm. through our page. So our page is pretty active and we had multiple different little uh, short videos going on and, and it's really geared to help university teachers, which is, you know, helpful for me too, as well. Like, um, and I, I feel like, I had a really interesting uh, perspective on it because I did teach adjunct at SFA for four years. Uh, and then I did go through visiting and now I'm finally in the tenure track. And so I, I saw a lot of different teaching philosophies, a lot of different ways and the ways that university teach treats professors. That's why I really wanted to be on the university pedagogy committee. And that's why, you know, I'm, it's cool. It's that we do a lot of different things and it's been cool to meet everybody. So I'm really thankful for being on that committee. Yeah, great. I mean, that's where you and I met. So yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I forgot about that. You were on like kind of our spotlight interview talking about your podcast because it is. I mean, it's pretty much like the most prolific podcast, right? You've I don't how many know. how many episodes have you had? I'm at uh, three thirty one. Just posted last week. So yeah, man. I it's funny. I because I, when I had Mike on mine, he wanted to talk to me, which was it was nice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but Mike is, as you know, is just like such a, um, he's such a, like a warm person, mm-hmm. extremely thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's great that he's overseeing that committee. Yeah. And it's cool that he like, um, he'll be like, okay, Hey, how you guys, you guys take care of this and he'll nudge us in the right direction, mm-hmm. but like, you know, expects us to take care of it. We like these conversations to be like pretty, pretty natural and we don't like to control them too much. And like for when I remember when we did yours, he was like, we're just <laughs> I was like, what are we going to talk? Cause actually for a lot of the spotlight ones we have, like, you know, some questions that we're going to answer. And he was like, no, I really want to interview Pete because Pete has basically talked to almost everybody in the field. And I want to see some trends and that was pretty cool. And so he's like, but I don't want to have any guidelines for it. I just want to see where it goes. And so that, that was unique about yours, which was really cool. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a good time. You know, I mean, I think we do like a three year term. Mm, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like directly halfway through it. I think I've been on it three semesters, which is like as a university professor, my whole life is rotated around the academic calendar. So I can't, sure. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, fall, spring, summer. And it's like, yeah. We'll back up at this point. So yeah. Ben, where did you grow up? I'm originally from uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, okay. my, family, my family moved a bunch of different places. I was like thinking, I was like, how far back do you want to go? I was actually like born in Missouri, which is like where you really? are. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, St. Louis. But like, okay. I, I I, was like, how far did back do you want to go? Because I barely remember St. Louis. And like, sure. my dad is an engineer. My parents are not musicians. My dad was an engineer. Um, he actually worked for Anheuser-Busch. Oh, yeah. Yep. Of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So he worked for Anheuser-Busch. Moved to Texas, moved to Atlanta, and then we moved up to Greenville, South Carolina, which is kind of like where I, I, when people say, where are you from? That's where I say, because I was like, I think I was there. We moved there when I was five. And so I was like, that's my. Oh, wow. So like, it's, it's really the big, it's like where you began school. Oh yeah, totally. 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 And like, I just, you know, we grew up, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a great place. If you've never been, you should visit. I have. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't like that. All the well, I didn't. That's not like that. for me. Well, I guess, I guess you're, you're from. You've been green. You know, if you're from, are you from Greensboro? No, no, I'm from New York, but I, okay. but I have friends in uh, in Greenville. Um, so yeah. my wife and I have gotten to visit uh, a couple times, and and we were just like, this place is awesome. I mean, like you know that downtown area with the yeah. where the river goes through is just yeah. is unbelievable. And and I've talked to I've had Omar on yeah. and I've had a couple other people who are who have had have Furman backgrounds. So the Greenville's gotten to come up a number of times. I was going through high school and I was, you know, doing the all county, all region, all state thing. And there's something that's really cool in Greenville, which I don't know a lot of people know about. There's this thing called the Fine Arts Center, which is a completely Greenville County School System supported arts program that has its own building and it's fantastic. It's incredible, really. It has its own like dance studio that's like a professional dance studio, it has its own video editing suite, its own like whole visual art suite, and also has its own percussion studio. It's it's crazy, but it's completely supported by Greenville County. And so, like, if you audition, you can go there completely free because you are a Greenville County, if you're a Greenville County student. Um, And so that's kind of like where I really started to become really interested because I went there for two years Mm -hmm. and you took a private lesson or take a, sorry, it's more like a percussion class, a class um, and a theory class. And so uh, when it kind of became time to know like where am I going to go to school um you know I'm from South Carolina I was interested in a couple schools but at the end of the day 
I was really familiar with Furman University, and so I went there. And I also, like, I had friends there that wanted me to go there. And actually, Omar was not there at that time. And I was there when Omar got the job. I was a sophomore. No, no. I was a freshman when he got the job. When he came in, I was a sophomore. Was it through the kind of that local art society that you that you got into music? I mean, yeah. you, you said your parents are not were not musicians. Yeah, no, I, I got in through music. Like marching band was a big part of my high school. So I was I was actually still like so this arts program. It was part of the school system. So you still had your home school. So like I was, I went to a school called Riverside High School, but for like half a day, I would go to this, to the fine arts center. And so I would still like take all my core classes at my school, but I would drive like 15, 20 minutes to this fine arts center and do all this stuff and then come back. So I was able to like still be in marching band after school, which was kind of cool um, because I loved doing that. So I, I really came up through the band program. I really came up through marching band mm-hmm. and then going to the fine arts center, my junior and senior year of high school really kind of cemented that idea of like making music, my career and studying music at the next level. When you're in high school, do you have private lessons or you just do, is it just kind of through that school and whatever else? Well, yeah, it was, it was through that school. And I, I I think it's, I think it's hard to call it this school. It's like, it's, it's like, it's an art school, but it's, it's so like, when I say that there, I was in a percussion class, I was in a percussion class of like three or four percussionists. Yeah. So we would take like a class together. And so they would do drum set, they would do snare drum. And so we would all play on pads together. And so it was like, it was like basically a form of quasi you're so specialized and so like uh, individualized that it, it pretty much was like having a private lesson. Um, and it's yeah. really, really unique. And like, I, I still, I don't think I realized when I was in high school, how awesome this thing was <laughs> because oh, sure. it's like, it's like, you know, you're studying with someone who's like a professional percussionist. You're studying with somebody who's got degrees in music theory. And like, it's like, that is what they want to do. They have a composer residence. They have a whole jazz program with a recording suite they have. Um, and so it's, it's pretty incredible. And so, yes, I did take lessons that like started me on my kickstarted me, let's say, into wanting to to keep going. Uh, your high school, was it uh, very competitive in terms of the, on the marching scene? No, I wouldn't say so. It, it just, it kind of being in Texas now, being from South Carolina is such a different vibe. My goal, like I always wanted to teach percussion. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I wanted to do. And in South Carolina, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's not probable because there's just so few percussion specialist positions. And right. here in Texas, you know, you get hired because you are a percussionist and they right. need someone to do that. You might, you might conduct a band, but you know, you're also teaching like the middle school percussion, the high school percussion, and you're running the drum line. And, and like, I sometimes wonder like if I grew up in Texas, which I, I don't think too much about this because like, you know, I, I was where I was supposed to be at all times and everything, you know, whatever. But my goal was to teach percussion and I wanted to teach great students. And I always knew from a young age that if I wanted to do that, at least starting being in South Carolina, that most likely meant going through and getting a doctor and teaching at the university level. I was also very attracted to teaching at the university level too. Um, but I sometimes wonder like, because there's a lot of opportunity to teach percussion in Texas. Would my path have been different? Would my outcome, my life, my life would be, of course, different. But would I be teaching high school? Um, 
I think I was attracted to the idea of teaching college from a young age, but it was always like, I want to teach percussion and then I want to teach percussion at the university level. Um, and so, yeah, I feel very lucky to be where I am, but there's also some really great percussion education going on in the the middle school and the high school level here. Really, really. And I, I see them at TMEA and like some of the stuff they're doing, I'm just like blown away. I'm like, Oh my God, how like, like, yeah, here's how you teach this. And it's like, boom. And it's like, gosh, you know, that's, that's how it feels like with some of these guys and who have been teaching high school percussion in Texas for 20, 25 years. Oh, yeah. They know like, they know every little thing how to do that. And so like a lot of times I'll, I'll call them up or, you know, say like, Hey, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And so that's kind of, I don't know. I don't remember what the question was. I'm sorry, but that's, that's oh, it's I, okay. I hope I answered it. Um, yeah, that was good. I was asking about the South Carolina yeah. uh, the band experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, yeah. So I, I, I see where I went. Yeah. I just, it wasn't a super competitive and there are some really great bands and like I, I had a, I had a great, band director and it was a good band program just wasn't super competitive and there are some very competitive bands in south carolina burns and wando and um some really really high caliber teaching going on in south carolina it's just the money isn't there to support someone being a percussion specialist or someone teaching percussion classes you know so most of the time in south carolina i say most of the time because there's always exceptions it's like you are the only band director at the high school or something. Um, so you don't have time to be a percussion specialist or something. Yeah. Um, even if you are a percussionist. So, yeah. You don't, you don't get to special that you can't specialize in it. You, you have to do the band thing that yeah. supports the percussion thing. Yeah. You're a band director who teaches, you're a band director who does percussion. Um, whereas I, like a lot of my students want to be percussion specialists who can right. conduct a concert band. Yeah. But, you know, in South Carolina, you pretty much have to be a band director first. Right. Um, conductor first. So. Yeah. Now, aside from doing all the music activities, did you do any, was there anything else that was filling out your time in high school, student government and band church related things, anything else that was part of your mm. life? You know, I, that's an interesting question. I haven't thought of this in a long time. Um, I, I was super involved. Uh, I was super involved in Boy Scouts. Um mm. You know, and that was, I took a big part of my, actually, I phased that part of my life kind of out when I started to get super serious about music. Mm. And I was very interested in that. And well, I mean, just like I had a lot of friends doing that and I enjoyed doing right. it. And the the people that I met were just really cool. And it's funny because like, you know, I, I, you know, those formative years when you're middle school and high school, being able to be around great people who, you know, the, did it the right way and or do you know or people of high character and mm-hmm. or just really great people it kind of okay. i think established a lot of my values i think that's why i liked it so much and i liked sure and i don't know just going through and so boy scouts and i was an eagle scout and that's like the one thing i keep on my resume from high school still mm-hmm. um, what was your project so there's this food let's see i think it's it's a shelter in greer south carolina which is a smaller town like a, a city it's in Greenville County, but I, I'm from Greer, South Carolina. Yep. There's like this shelter and I did this like food drive and I also revamped their food shelter portion. Mm-hmm. I ripped all the shelves out, did everything and basically redid everything and then did a food drive to help restock it. And so it was a lot of work to kind of plan and um, it was fun, you know I mean? Um, and then so like as I became really interested in music and marching band, I started to phase that 
you know, I sometimes miss it and wonder about like, if I were kids, would, would they do that? And um, I can think of, if they were interested in that, that would be cool. But I think it'd be up to them. That took a lot of my time. And, and it's, uh, so then as I became interested in music, I would, it was taking a lot of my summers up, let's say that. Sure. So I was going to like Brevard Music Center or mm-hmm. other things and other summer camps for like marching summer camps or something like that. To, um, and that was kind of the last, I was, I was working at like Boy Scout summer camps too. And that yeah. kind of like phased that out before I went to off to school for like 10 years in sure. college yeah. and yeah. master's and doctorate. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I was, that's what I was kind of thinking. Usually Eagle Scout is what, senior in high school. Like it's usually, I was, like right at the I end was or sometimes 15. You can even go into like college. I, I'd like freshman year of college, I think. Yeah. I mean, you have to basically finish. You are no longer like a, I don't know what they call it, but you're considered an adult at 18. Mm. And so like the, that's why you have to finish everything by 18 because then you become like part of the adult. You can become like a scout leader and all that stuff. And so uh, it was just a, I finished my Eagle project when I was 15 mm-hmm. and that kind of seemed like that was right when I started getting more serious about music. So as that, as I finished that, I started getting more into music and um, kind of switched off my time for that. Was there any particular reason that, that you were led to go to Furman for undergrad? I was, like I said, I was in the all state, all region kind of thing. And a lot of the stuff was held there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, had lot, I had a lot of friends um, that went there, but I still think what happened was uh, there was a friend of mine, his name is Gordon Hicken. He's actually, he's also a university percussion professor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, situated up in the Baltimore area right now. And Gordon's also from Greenville and Gordon was like three years ahead of me. I don't know if I knew that at the time, Yes, yeah. you know, eighteen-year-old Ben thinks so differently than now sure. Ben. I remember he actually teched my marching band, and I I remember him saying we need good percussionists at Furman, and so I think I felt like I would fit in well here, and I liked Gordon a lot. He's a super nice guy. He's always been a nice guy. He's a great player, and so I was, and so then I, I that's why I I think that's why I went there. Yeah. Um, and I, I had some other good options too, but I, I felt really at home at Furman and Furman was like a really great place for me at the time. And then I didn't even realize it. Like I would, I, you know, I get there and the teacher that I was studying with decided to apply for a Dean of faculty job, which was great for him. But then I was like, Oh man, do I stay here? The teacher that I came for is leaving. And, mm-hmm. but then I ended up studying with Omar Carmenades, which was like pretty much a, a life changing person for me. You know, I was, there when he got there and we had like four majors and now they have like 12, which is like crazy for them. Yeah. And they're playing at PASIC. It's like nuts. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's why I ended up going there. And it was a really great place for me mm-hmm. just because, you know, I was thinking about, <clears throat> it was like, a, it's like a small school. Yeah. Um, but and you're, and it's, and it's a school that has a lot of high achieving, Mm-hmm. people in all of the fields that you're probably interacting with regularly, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a liberal arts university. So all actually the, the core classes were incredibly difficult. Yeah, All the academics were difficult, but it was like, it was like, I get to my graduate courses and I'm like, just blowing through them. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm not even like, it's like, this is child's play compared to what I went through in my undergrad. And it was, yeah. 
I did a lot of playing. I did a lot of performing. I did a lot of that at a young age. I played a lot of percussion ensemble repertoire. I played a lot of, you know, I, I remember like playing Chike 4, cymbals when I was like a sophomore. And I think that at like another institution that, that might go to like an older student. And, and the cool thing about Omar was like, Omar was like, we're going to do this repertoire. I think it'd be great for you. And we just did it. And some of it, it was like, we were doing like threads with all undergrads and we were doing like ballet mechanique by George Antel. And I was like, looking back, I was like, man, we just went through so much stuff and we just did it. And yeah. I think it's, you know, Omar so has, has such great vision really gave me in the three years that I studied with him, gave me a really great experience that um, I don't think I realized when I was going through, but now I'm like, gosh, I think maybe now that I'm like teaching, I have my own program mm-hmm. that makes it so much more special those years. Sure. Was the focus in lessons on kind of complete percussionist? Was he like, he identified holes in your playing and was like, we need to make sure these are good. What was kind of the, how did lessons work? You know, we would work on different things and he would say, yeah, I think this would be good for you. And a lot of times we had some sort of, hey, we're working towards this. Hey, we're working towards this. You know, we got a recital coming up. We got to do this. Or you want to do graduate school auditions. We got to make sure this is good. And we identified. Now, the thing that I think that I... I've always done is that I've always maintained. And I think this goes back to when I was like a fine arts center. I was, I've always maintained that like an equal footing on, on a lot of different instruments. So like I would take at firm and I would take a classical lesson and a drum set lesson at the same time, or like, you know, I would register for two. And so I was always playing drum set. I was always studying classical. I was I like, and I had so many different interests too. Like at one point I was really trying to be part of the new music. I was really interested in that scene. I did an Evenor festival. And then one time I was like really interested in developing my drum set chops. And one time I was really interested in developing orchestral chops or four mallet marimba chops. And so, it was, and then I, you know, would do drum corps and then I would do all these different things. And so like to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it was a whole, whole total percussionist and I did everything partially because I had to, mm-hmm. because, you know, I was, you know, I had to play in the big band. I had to play in a combo. Well, I didn't have to, I guess I could have like really put my foot down, but I, I wanted to as well. And the cool thing about it was like, I, I was able to get so many, so much experience playing and college is like, you play so much, you perform so much. It's kind of like a little bit of a, I don't know, you're, it's okay if something doesn't go quite right, you know? Um, yeah that's kind of the point, you know, um, right. not the point is to fail, but like, you know, if it's not catastrophic, if something happens and then yeah. you learn from it, you know? So Absolutely. yeah, it's, it was a whole total percussionist vibe and uh, something I still trust with my students because they're going to have to do everything. They're going to have to teach everything. They have to run marching band. They're going to have to do drum set. You know, we all, no matter what level of drum set they are, when they come in, they'll at least do some semesters with me and, you know, we also have another jazz drum set professor here that they can elect to study with if they want to do that. Really great time at Furman. Um, it's a really great time for me. Um, felt really lucky to study with Omar. I, I really like, it was like, it could have been anybody and it, it kind of just, I got super lucky studying with him. So where do you end up doing your master's? So I did my master's at the University of South Carolina. I stayed in South Carolina. I studied with Scott Herring. Which every time I think about, you know, going from school to schools and like, I think that for me, I, the schools that I went to was, you know, something that I needed 
like at South Carolina, I needed that really killer grad program that had those master's and doctoral students because I didn't get that at Furman. Right, and that's, on. you know, yeah. And so I, I walk in and there's, you know, three or four master's students, two other doctoral, two doctoral students that are like killing it that are already like gearing up for recitals the first day I'm there. And it's like, okay, we got to go through all this stuff. Percussion ensemble is important. And so like it was, and I, I remember going into that and wanting to be really good. <laughs> like, and like, sure. this is, I wanted to like show up and know everything on the first day. Like I, you know, wanted to slam the part on the first day of rehearsal. And, um, and that, that really helped me like in my masters, like propel into what, whatever I needed because I was, I was surrounded by so many great percussionists, um, people that wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that wasn't necessarily the case at, at Furman. There's so many smart people at Furman, but at that time there weren't a ton of percussionists doing what I wanted to do. So going to South Carolina, that, that, that changed a lot of things. Right. You know, we played a PASIC in 2012 and I was able to really start, start to tackle high level, uh, like marimba literature and, we had a great percussion ensemble at Furman University. And then it was just playing with like older, more mature students and, and players. It was really great for me. And studying with Scott was just, you know, awesome. Um, I still think he's like master teacher, master pedagogue that just is so, he's so humble. Um, you know, he's not a me. He's not a, he's not always going to show, uh, point people towards him and be like, see, look what I'm playing. Um, but he's, you know, incredible marimba player, incredible percussionist, also a really good drop set player, which people don't always know, but he's also, he's good. He's a great teacher and like kind of also, and this is something that I noticed across all my teachers is that, you know, I was also able to model what I wanted my life to look like. And, you know, sometimes when we're going through school, it's like, you got to, practice, 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 but you know, if, and do it and don't worry about the money or something like that. But you sh money's important. Money's nice because do you want to buy a house? Do you have children? Do you want to get married? Do you want to do all that stuff? And all my teachers, uh, who are also, you know, had families and were able to, whether they told me that or not, like it always seemed like they were able to balance that part of their life, which I'm sure it was way more complicated than I ever saw. But, um, I never, you know, I always felt like, you know, all my teachers, Omar Parks and Hearing were always just, their family was very important to them. And I always really respected that about all of them. And uh, something we don't always think about when we talk about music all the time, but it was kind of like nice because I was in a serious relationship. Actually, I was married at the time. Um, or maybe I'm, well, I'm still married, but like I was, I was in a serious relationship, but then I got married and we're still married. And so uh, it's so, uh, it was kind of nice because I got married right when I entered you know, halfway through South Carolina. So it was kind of nice to see, um, Scott's wife, Sonny is so nice and awesome. And he cares a lot about his children. So it was kind of nice for me starting out marriage to see that. And, um, I think that was really important for me kind of to talk about non-musical things for a second, but no, no, no. Yeah. Free. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I mean, cause that's a important thing anyway with a partnership is mm -hmm. like, if you're, I mean, I have to imagine that, you take a job in Kingsville and it's got to come up like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah, right? totally. Totally. <laughs> and that, that's something that, you know, a lot of people 
either do or don't think about, but like, I was very fortunate. My wife's um, a band director and in, in any area, you always need a band director. And so she was moving and moving with me. And then when we moved out to Texas, she started to really find footing, like, and find her calling, which yeah. is now arts administration. Cause she took hmm. a job as director of fine arts. And so then it was kind of like, okay, this becomes a little bit more complicated. And so we were able to find her a job in arts administration down here in Corpus Christi. I feel so lucky, you know, about, about that. And, but it was definitely like a thing where I was able to kind of put my head down for the first couple of years. And then after that, it was, it was always kind of like, you know, we're together, we're a partnership, we're, we're forming a life together. And how is that going to look? And um, really worrying about her career as well. And yeah, so she's, absolutely. that was just something that, you know, I've, I would say like, you know, going through grad school, I was always very incredibly lucky that she was able to sustain not only her, but us throughout our schooling. And then whenever we moved out to Texas and it's also been beneficial for her, it's become more of like, okay, what do we want our life to look like? How can, if I take this job here, what's that going to look like for you? She's always been kind of like so awesome and that she's been able to find a job. And so I feel very lucky for that. So she just did a, a presentation at TMEA last week about empowering the next generation of female leaders. And it was, it was incredible. It was inspiring. Um, it was a packed house, standing room only. And it was just really cool thing about it was that they were able to, some of the audience speak about their experiences and it was, it was really powerful. So um, yeah, I mean, you're forming a life together. You're forming a partnership together. It's totally, totally right. And kind of to go back and, you know, I was lucky to have all my teachers, Omar, John and Scott to, to be, you know, you know, really nice people and people that uh, care a lot, not only about their families, but about their students and about, uh, you know, what they say and what they do and what their students pick up on. Whether I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they ever realized that that's something I always looking back I'm, I'm thankful for and grateful for those kinds of things. It, it's good. I think that maybe what was part of what, what happened, I guess, at least, and you could correct me if you're, if I'm wrong on this is that your wife was, was your wife already kind of a professional while you were in master's and doctoral programs? Yeah. Like yeah. she was doing the, the band directing. Mm -hmm. So she could. Um, so it's like, that's actually kind of part of the, of the partnership is, she's going to help kind of sustain financial some of a financial base so that you can like go for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's totally it. And I, I didn't have to worry about, I mean, I had assistantships. I yeah. didn't have to worry about trying to work a part-time job or something like that. And I was right. able, I am so lucky um, that that is something that I'm able, I was able to do and avoid a lot of loans. I was able to for the first few times of was following me, but it also, you know, benefited her as well. She was able to get great jobs and she was able to enroll at Florida state as well as like a master, a master summer program. She completed that. We actually walked together on the same day when oh, I finished sweet. my doctorate, she finished her master's, which was really cool. You know, I think a lot of times as musicians, we think about music, 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 and how that all looks our life. And we were trying to share things or artists, but, you know, something I also stress to my students is like, what do you want your life to look like? Yeah. You know, if you want a house that requires, it's okay to think about money. If you want a house that requires a certain amount of money, if you want kids that requires a certain amount of money, you know, so it's, 
Um, and and a decision of where you would want to live because not every place is going to be a house friendly place. If you yeah. want to move, if you're like, I want to move to New York city, I'm like, okay, fine. But that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And I, there's a lot of people talking about that now. And a lot of the people talking about like, what do you, your, what's your career look like? And um, I talk a lot with parents trying to recruit their sons or daughters and trying to be like, they're say, if I'm going to send my child to you, how are they going to make money? And so then we got to lay it out. We got to say, this is what, this is what this, you know, in this area, if they stay here, this is what they'll most likely make. If they want to do this, they want to do this, this is what their career looks like. Cause you know, our careers, musicians don't look a certain way. My dad, going back to my dad, he's an engineer. He's an engineer for 40 years. Yeah. My dad had one income stream, yeah. you know, and I do the teaching thing and perform. I arrange, I play the Corpus Christi Symphony sometimes. I do clinics, master classes. I do, you know, there's a lot of different income streams that you can have as a musician. And so I think that's something that's now completely different than when I was in school. It's like mm-hmm. you just, and when I was in school, it's like you go through school, you get your degree, hopefully a job happens, you know? Right, yeah. uh, but, but now there are people are employing music entrepreneurship professors and there's mm-hmm. books written and there's the people that read it. Like I read books about that when I was in school and Parks is also always talking about that. He was, he was saying like, we're trying to prepare you for jobs that don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And it's totally true. Totally true. You know, you yeah. never know what you're going to do. You know, getting back to Scott, Mm-hmm. What what was and I because I I mean Omar is is from the John Parks mm-hmm. tree you know kind of like yeah. um, but you know what was similar different about teaching style between we won't get to Parkship but between Omar and um, Scott I I don't think it was the style I don't want to say styles stylistically mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there were too big a difference especially as a grad student I think hearing was definitely like okay here's what you need to work on and you know go practice your butt off and we'll see where we are next week and it was kind of like that and um he trusted you to be a mature individual which as you should be you know i think omar was really as an undergrad i was he was very hands-on i saw him all the time i think hearing it really helped me in my marimba playing, understanding how to make these certain sounds on the instrument and understanding phrasing and touch and all the, a lot of these different things and helped me a lot with that. Because by the time I got to him, I was really foundationally pretty, pretty good, I think. And there's some things I adjusted in my playing, just looking at hearing that he's such a natural player and that I think I wanted to sound like him and be like him. And so there's a lot like that. But I, stylistically, I wouldn't say they're too, too terribly different. Um, just, you know, really great, really great teachers. Yeah. You had an assistantship there? I did. It was through the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only, you know, it was it was mainly actually working with the marching band, not even the drum line. It was just like administrative duties. It was just really, uh, I, I learned a lot through that too, working with people, administrative duties, teaching the marching band, doing, you know, setting up for the South Carolina Band Clinic, which is huge every February setting up for, you know, whatever needed to be done. Um, and that game day set up. Or, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, getting there at 5 a.m. game day, doing all that stuff. And it was, it was good. You know, it was great. It was all actually that that job was a lot of work. Yeah. Because that's a big program. 
And yeah. so it was, it was a good, but it really wasn't until I got to Florida state that I really felt like I was like really, really, really actively teaching a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was through my assistantship at Florida state. Would you consider John parks, um, really intense or extraordinarily intense? I think he was, he was really intense in a great way. He expected a lot. And I think that I, like I was saying, going through all my teachers, like what I, I think about a lot, like, what do I want to take from all my teachers? And from him, I was just like, really interested in like, he's like, here's the bar and I'm not going to let you go lower than that. And I was like, cool. And that's, you know, I say, what did, like I was talking about earlier, like, what did I need at every school? And that's what I needed at Florida state. That's what I, you know, I, I was, I was a good player, but I was, you know, I remember him saying in a lesson to me, he's like, sometimes I just think that like, you think that's the best it's ever going to get, you know? And I understand what he means by that. It's like, no, like you, you have to, you have the time right now let's fix it and like get through this and don't, don't try to, you know, whatever. And so like, it, it, it was, there was, there's, he was intense, you know, he's, uh, it was great. It was, but he's also an incredibly caring individual, and you know genius level intellect and incredibly musician and great ear and he's also a great producer and really like i i took away from some of the like music technology stuff that he was getting into yeah. and i i took and gleaned so much from that program and him and i and i and i think that you know going staying with omar i um i really wanted like i wanted to study parks because he was my teacher's teacher you know yeah and so that was kind of like a little bit of a, yeah, let's, I would like love to see that or love to study with that. And so, yeah, it was intense, but in like in a great way, I mean, exactly what I needed. Your assistantship there was, uh, was a teaching one. Yeah. So it was a percussion teaching assistantship. And so lots of less, I mean, not lots, now that I think about it, now what I'm doing now. Uh, I mean, I would teach like four undergrads, the methods course, we do a lot of inventory work, anything that he needed, um, you know, cause it's just him. Yeah. You know, it's him, you know, that's, it's a big school and he, he kind of runs that school with his teaching assistants. And it's, yeah. it's like, I was able to, and he, when he went on sabbatical, it was like us and we were teaching the undergrads and we were, we were preparing people for grad school auditions and like, but he like, kind of that goes back to like the expectation. The expectation was like, he knew where like, you, you kind of walked in and you knew where the bar was. Yeah. And it was kind of like just, and that was him almost like um, conditioning everybody to be like, here's the bar. And so like when you have that first percussion on summer rehearsal, he doesn't even need to say it anymore. The seniors and the grad students were like telling the freshman, like you better be slamming that first rehearsal. He doesn't even say it anymore because that's the expectation. We come in and we're doing a run through at tempo first rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And the expectations have the notes learned and rhythms right and understand where your part fits in and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I, that's uh, the assistantship was teaching and it's great. I was like, that was like when the first time I was like really teaching regularly and I felt myself getting to be a better teacher Yeah, every week because it was like, I, I didn't take a uh, time to teach or anything. I didn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. So I went straight through. And so finding that regular teaching experience really helped me at my doctoral level was at, at that time was parks doing the uh, was the the um studio like the recording portion like a massive part of was that like full going at that point 
Yes. Like his own his own recording. The thing that like he does is kind of like his major side thing. Yeah, like that totally that was totally going. Yeah. I mean, it was like, hey, who's coming in to record this week? Like I remember one time he's like, Yeah, she was coming in to record her box CD. You know, Tom, he's like flying out to Austin and work with Tom Burr this week and or over the summer or something like that. So it was it was totally going. And that was like an expectation. We all had our laptops, we all had to run whatever DAW we wanted. It could be Audacity, it could be Audition, it could be whatever. And we would all just come in and you'd plug your laptop in and record it. You record your lesson. And if you ever need it, like you can record your tapes, your grad school tapes really easily and all that stuff's there, you know? Um, and so it's, it's super cool. And he, he did, he did like a course. I don't know if he still does this. He probably does. Um, he would do like a course. He would have like a basic course and then an advanced course that you could do. That was totally going. Yeah. He'd have all these discs on his wall of the ones that he produced through his mm-hmm. recording company, production company. I mean, it was probably like, 20 or so discs at that time. And so, yeah, that was totally going. That was a cool part. And just being around so many great people that are just killing it, you know? Um, That was like the thing that I just took away. And like, oh, I I get there and I have to be at this level. Kind of like when I took a, a, a step, you know, my first time in like a graduate studio in South Carolina, meeting a lot of really great people who I still consider like really, really good friends um, was kind of, great it was great at florida state and the recording thing yeah um learning a lot about video audio and you know there's people that like um for instance like my friend chase banks who mm-hmm. who was the digital media mar- media marketing manager at innovative and then he just took a job at hal leonard through some sort of technology where he, he has degrees in music education and performance and he was getting his doctorate at florida state and his he runs a production company called greenhouse and his videos are so good that innovator just called him. I was like, Hey, we want you to come run our stuff. And then he got a call from Hal Leonard saying, we want you to come run our stuff and, and develop, help develop this technology. And so like he has everything that he knows is through him just working on, not even necessarily, he was always interested in that stuff though. Like I, you know, I think parks maybe just kind of supplemented that. And, but Chase was always interested in that stuff on his own. And so, so like, yeah, so kind of going back, like you, can, you never know what your job's going to be, you know. What remind me what the finishing thing is for the doctorate at Florida State? Ours is they call it a treatise, you know, document a research document, and that I finished that in 2017, um, and that was fun. You know, I did. What was the topic? So it was on percussion, like development of percussion in the wind ensemble music of Corel Husa, you know, Czech composer mm-hmm. band prominent band composer music for Prague, Apotheosis of this Earth, Concerto for One Ensemble. Did a lot of that, researched that. It was really cool. Kind of looked at how his music had changed and where he would use percussion as um, sort of just like uh, delineating form in rhythmic things. And then it's actually changing into in music for Prague 1948, which is like, okay, actually we are using percussion as introducing important thematic and melodic material, right? Um, and changing things, textural things, and understanding it begins with percussion, ends with percussion, has a percussion palindrome m- movement. And so so that was really cool. Um, and that kind of came, that idea came through like at a question of my comprehensive exam and kind of just okay. took that and ran with it. And 
and I had, I had like the bones of it for a while, but it really just took me like sitting down for like three weeks and just like blitzing through <laughs> just writing, 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 and then come back the next day and be like, okay, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. I'm like getting it out of there. And yeah, I was writing and writing in coffee shops and just basically I was like, okay, I get it done for this and got in. I had a friend that was going through it at the same time and yeah, it was super fun. I, I don't know if it's super fun, but it seemed, I think it was like a very romantic part of my life because I was like going through like just writing and sitting in coffee shops. And now I'm like teaching all day. It's like a very different vibe, you know? Yeah. Um, so I got you. You teach, you go to Stephen F. Austin after that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how does that job, how do you get connected there? I really, an email, <laughs> Okay. Brad, Brad at SFA just needed someone to come teach and it was a quite it turned into quite a hefty load mm-hmm. and so i you know based on email i sent my resume some my stuff videos cv letter um and i did a phone interview and they're like yep you got the job i was like cool and that was pretty much it and i i um what time I of year was that I, I mean i think i knew about that in like april or may oh, all right great maybe maybe later i don't remember so it wasn't like super quick turnaround, but I knew I had a gig and I walked in August. Mm-hmm. So I took the summer, I took in like an extra semester and did, mm-hmm. I walked in August. Yeah. And so I walked in August, 2017. And then the next day I drove out to Texas. So I like literally just threw stuff in my car and then my dad helped me drive out there and like we set up my stuff. And then he next day or two just drove off and then a couple days later started band camp and that's how that went and i was so i was like teaching writing um and this is really where i was like really teaching um steel band lessons percussion ensemble all this stuff um not percussion actually i didn't do too much percussion drum line i was arranging all the parts as well and yeah um it was, it was like, just, it was great. It was like learning Texas, learning the school, learning how to be a good colleague, mm-hmm. which not everybody thinks about. That's important. And learning how to say, learning when to say stuff in faculty meetings and learning when not to say things in faculty meetings, you know, a lot of that stuff. And even going to faculty meetings, even going, you know, actually I did, was not required to go to them at SFA, yeah. but I did anyway. And it was like really informative for me because yeah. I would see like, you know, and people say things and then people be like, could you believe that person said that? And like, yeah. Okay. So here's how you don't address things and being a good colleague, teaching, interacting with students, meeting alumni, all that stuff. Um, So. The the good informative and the bad informative are both part of those meetings as you well aware. Yeah, man. It was an adjunct position. Was that essentially, uh, you know, whatever Brad couldn't, couldn't cover. He's just like, this is yours. Take it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of like that way, but it, it was just kind of like, there was an ex, there was, so like the drum line, I was like pretty much, you know, what was cool about Warren and Brad was that like from the moment I got there, he trusted me to do whatever I wanted to do. He didn't, mm-hmm. he kind of was like, here's a basic, like when they should study what, when they should study what, you know, and he right. would dictate, you know, who was studying with who. And this is, Hey, you need to work on Marimba this person this semester and so but um he never told me what they sh- like books should, they should be working out of what they feel you know what they should be doing that mm-hmm. um as far as the marching percussion stuff goes like 
I had com- oh, virtually complete autonomy over that. You know, he would show up and support and talk to the kids, but you know, um, that was super nice. It was like being able to make that my own. Uh, eventually picked up steel man, which was fun. Had you, had you done that yet? I had done that at Furman for a semester. I wasn't like super well-versed in it. I did it at South Carolina for a couple of semesters. I did it at Furman for a semester. So I knew the lingo. I knew how to talk to them. I knew the charts and I knew, you know, and then just kind of discovering a little bit more about that helped out as well. Um, and then I had some academic courses as well that were kind of there to supplement my load because I was able to get like health insurance. And if I got up to like a certain number of credit hours, and the health insurance at SFA was really good. And so, yeah. which is crazy. Hmm. Um, and so, like, yeah, I was, like, super, I was, like, happy there and comfortable there. And mm-hmm. actually, that like, com- I was talking with someone else about that at TMA. Like, I was comfortable there. Um, mm-hmm. And my wife moving there and then getting a job there and then getting into the admin thing, I think is why I stayed there longer. Mm-hmm. I was When I got there, I was like, I'm going to be there a year or two and get out of here. But I was there for yep. four years, um, partially because my wife got that admin job my second year. Mm. And then I kind of like, I did, I did, I did apply, but it was kind of like half-heartedly like, sure, we'll see if this works out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got into the fourth year, I was like, okay, I need to like get on. I've taught adjunct. I've been teaching a while, been doing this thing. It's time for me to go. And that's where we get to Kingsville. Was that decision a, you know that you have to, not get stuck as, as like, is what, what can happen. You can get stuck as, as an adjunct. And yeah. Not. I, I think I worried about, and I don't know how true or not true this was, but I was worried about people asking questions. Why did you teach adjunct for so long? Things like that. Um, I was a little bit worried about. And so I was always worried about that, but I was comfortable there. I liked teaching there. I liked the students. I liked the university. I had some really good friends there. Mm-hmm. So I I got comfortable. And I think that I just made the decision uh, in my fourth year, probably halfway through my fourth year. And, you know, Brad talked to me about it a little bit. And I was like, you know, I feel like you're thinking long-term. I don't think I was thinking long-term there, but I was, you know, I was comfortable and I was like making decent money for an adjunct. And mm-hmm. my wife had a great job. And so I was like, you know, like we said, that that partnership and I didn't want to rip her away from something. I didn't want to rip her away from something she really enjoyed doing unless it was like a sure thing. Sure. And she understood that too. And so actually when I was visiting Kingsville last year, she stayed up in in East Texas for a year. So we lived separately and then now she's down here. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the adjunct thing is difficult. And, you know, I mean, just to kind of like when I was interviewing, I told them when I had an interview at Kingsville, I said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but, and they're like, you're going to get that job. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, and so then like Brad, you know, they're just like, let me know as soon as possible. And I was like, cool. I understand it's the summer. I get it. And so I told him in like within 24 hours, like he already had somebody there completed oh, wow. doctorate, not there, but like that was agreeing to take the job. Mm-hmm. Um, completed doctorate. It was great. Had experience, you know, all that stuff. So like, the market is saturated and it can become yeah. really it's saturated, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to to have been at SFA. I loved it, had some great friends, love working with Brad, love working with the percussionists. Saw a lot of them at TMEA, which was really cool. Um, a lot of great colleagues, you know, I was really close to the band directors because I worked with the marching man. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of great memories, 
and I, and I, you know, they asked me, you know, I miss, miss the people, but I love where I'm working at now. Keg Kings was like this awesome, super supportive colleagues, super supportive, awesome students. And they just want to get better and keep learning and teaching and, and become eventual band directors. So yeah, that's kind of like, we've kind of been through like my whole yeah. life story up till now, you know, the, the decision to to say, okay, if this is actually what I really want to do, like, because mm-hmm. I, I do get the kind of like the half heart, like if you're just like, oh, that job sounds cool. I'll throw my stuff together. Like, you know, I'll just yeah. check out, like, check the water out. And then there's like a decision like, no, actually there's, this is a job that's going to work that like fits me. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it was. And like, actually I was, I was like kind of juggling two different job offers at the time mm. when I last some, some time when I, when I took the Kingsville job. And mm-hmm. I, I think that I just, it was like one, obviously Kingsville was in Texas and then the other one was not. And yeah. I was, I was, you know, the, there was a lot of attractive things about both jobs, but ultimately I think Texas is where I wanted to be and where I wanted to stay at this point in my life. And so I was really, it actually, like I interviewed for the other one first mm-hmm. and then I, they offered it to me and before I even interviewed at Kingsville and I was like, I have this interview at Kingsville and I was straight up with them. And actually I remember talking to parks and being like, I don't know, you know, I, this is a good job, but I really interested in this Kingsville job. Mm -hmm. And I called the person back and I was prepared for them to say, we can't wait that long, which is normal, Mm -hmm. like totally normal. And they said, no, we'll wait. And I was like, okay. Like I, so they let me and I eventually got the Kingsville job and I turned them down and I I was very surprised that they let me do that, um, but they did. So if they were saying, no, we need an answer now, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm sorry, but I'll have to turn it down um, because yeah. I was really interested in this job. I mean, depend, it's obviously very dependent on the, the people you're talking to in the school and stuff like that. But I mean, that's a, that is a normal part of job negotiation on the academic level is those conversations because most yeah. people are going for – um, are going for multiple jobs when they're applying for jobs. Like it's, you know. Yeah. I love teaching Kingsville. Really the, you know, we, again, we live, we live in a great, sorry, we work in a great facility and it's six dedicated practice rooms, two really nice faculty offices and um, huge percussion studio, really great storage space. But, you know, I mean, this school, they just got this building a couple of years ago, but the, the school was really great and has a really great reputation in the area. And, you know, they were doing this long before this facility was super nice. You know, they used to have percussionists like literally falling out of the practice rooms. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, man, it's 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 great. I feel very lucky and happy to be here. Well, Ben, I finish out with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Sure. And first question is: In what's an issue in either percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? It's a really good question. I'm thinking about right, right now, and I don't think it's especially sure. maybe the most that irritates me, but something that yeah. I'm thinking about like right now that you have to do something a certain way. And like, I know that we all know that there's more than one way to do things, but like, you know, that you have to play Taylor Clues for your grad school auditions, that you have to do something a certain way, that you have to go through this or that. And I think that, you know, uh, these, I think there are these pillars of percussion that, you know, we, we, attached to you and I think there's reasons that we attached to them but you know we we put a value on doing so many different things 
really well. Um, and that I think that something I really respect Omar for is that it almost feels like nothing is too sacred for Omar, mm. meaning that like he's always looking at what's the best for my me and my students right now. And I would yeah. say like I don't know, if, but I just the feeling that we have to play this, we have to do that, we have to do this, is. Because there's, there's just so much out there, you know. Yeah. Coming back from TMEA, it's just like so much great teaching and playing going on, you know. So, so I'd say about that. I've not been to TMEA. I keep hearing that it's, you know, it's like it's like what is it? This like the second biggest. <laughs> it's like, is it, it even? Is it is it smaller than Midwest? Or is actually? Oh no Midwest? no! It's like it's like uh, three times bigger than Midwest. Yeah, it's there's like twenty six thousand people that go there or something. It's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. What are the ways? And I, I think you can. I would assume this would make a lot of sense with where you teach now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are the ways that you think of, you know, inclusion, diversity, equity in in the percussion field and the education field these days? I think the more voices that we have in percussion, the better. The more voices, the and the and making sure that everybody's is represented, and making sure there's so many. I mean, yes, and I, I don't know if I necessarily have a, a unique perspective. Um, and I, you know, even though most of my actual all my students are Hispanic, we're not a, a necessarily incredibly diverse population down here. You know, even though a lot of my students are considered minority in the state of in the the United States. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily like they're not a necessarily diverse population in the area that we I teach in. Um, I will say that a lot of my students come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, money is always an always a concern for them, and just making sure that we are doing what we can to elevate them and make sure that they can are able to do that is is, is do whatever they need, whether it be sticks, mallets, books, whatever, bringing the stuff great educators to them is what we're trying to do. So I think, you know, the more voices that we have in percussion is, is, is best. And, you know, we are so communal as percussionists. We share, we have so much, you know, we share all the instruments, share all the sticks, we share all the mallets. And it's heartbreaking sometimes to think of like when we're non, when we're not inclusive, you know, mm-hmm. because we have to be together all the time and in our studios and our environments that it, it should be an inclusive environment. And so what applies to me more is, is in my students is, is equity and making sure that they have what they need and, and the ways that we can do that, the ways that we can, you know, make the load lighter. So like, for instance, a lot of my students were able to apply for COVID relief grants that came through and they were able to, that's, they got over a thousand, most of them got over a thousand dollars and that was able to help them buy sticks, mallets and books. And so that's one way that my university is able to help, with that. So I, I think that, yes, I, I think that the more that we see that, the better our community becomes. And there's a lot of interesting music out there from all different people. Yeah. All right. Some other questions, not necessarily percussion related, but um, mm-hmm. has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And uh, so how they do it? You know, I don't, I don't think anybody's, you know, I hope your wife do an impression of you. My, my, my wife does not do an impression of me. <laughs> uh, I don't, I cannot recall someone, you know, and maybe my students do some impression of me, but they don't do those around me. So uh, <laughs> I, I can't recall anybody nailing an impression of me. Gotcha. But you're ready. You're ready to, you're I'm ready. ready to I'll, I'll call it out if they be like, yeah, you nailed it or, you know, you need some work on that. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm fine with Always it. Always teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, Your biggest kitchen mess up. You know, I would probably say it was, I hosted Thanksgiving this year mm. and I wouldn't say this is a kitchen mess up, but I did not realize how much coffee my parents drink. <laughs> Holy crap. And oh it was just like, <laughs> so my parents are retired and like, you know, they wake up in the morning, they turn on the TV, watch news and whatever. Yeah, and yeah. They, they like sip coffee so much. And I, I like doing specialty coffee, but uh-huh. I only drink one or two cups a day, yeah. mostly one. So I'll make some for myself in the morning. So I didn't have like a coffee uh, maker or anything. I just have like, I have an espresso machine. I have a pour over yeah. thing, but like to be able yeah, to yeah. do that, it takes time and effort. And so, but right. they're wanting to drink like three or four cups within two hours, both of uh-huh. them. Uh-huh. And so I was just like me underestimating that, like, I on Thanksgiving Day, I'm literally just pulling shots of espresso, making pour overs for like two hours. Um, because my brother and his girlfriend and my sister were all there. And so they're like normal coffee drinkers. Yeah. My parents are like just it's just the ritual for them, you know? Yeah. So that's probably the biggest one I can think of right now. I just wish I, I had the foresight to be able to like, okay, I need to just get a big coffee machine so I can Yeah. Set it so you just deal with them and then you could still have your specialty coffee as you yeah desire. yeah because yeah, it's not it's it's more about the ritual for them not necessarily about the taste yeah so that's probably gotcha. it. are you do you have a uh a, a um a company or a type of bean or something are you are you do you get really yeah really so I, about these things i mean i i i i think some people would call me snobby but <laughs> my opinion about coffee is like coffee is the best whatever you drink it whatever if it works for you and you do it this way great i don't care i like onyx beans from arkansas they're from rogers arkansas which is north of fayetteville i'm also partial to methodical coffee which is from greenville Mm. we have a really cool roaster here in south texas it's in corpus christi called driftwood um but right now i have like a coffee subscription that sends me different ones so they just sent me one from austin they sent me one from bentonville arkansas about a month ago so i think some people call me snub but i think that when you talk to me, I'm like, look, if you want to drink that cured coffee, go for it. You know, if that works yeah. for you, do it. That's cool. Nice. Just, you just need a coffee pot. Just, just have it in the, yeah. In the box, just waiting for the parents next time. I, yeah. Next time I definitely will do that. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll steal the Keurig from my work or something and bring it home right. for Thanksgiving or something. There it so. is. Oh, that's, that's good. It's a good way to think about it. Do you have a sports fandom? I am a big Florida State Seminoles fan. Okay. And also I've become a big Houston Astros fan the past two years. Oh. Started going to a couple games, and then it was really cool being fans this year, and then won the World Series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are the two. And then just being at Florida State, you know, that was really cool. And just seeing, like, the huge tradition. And also my wife being uh, an alumni of Florida State, it kind of, like, ties in. We liked South Carolina football, too, but just we were both alumni of Florida State, so we're kind of partial mm-hmm. to them. Gotcha. And just you mean just the football specifically, right? Or are you talking about everything Florida State? Uh, mostly football, but we, you know, if the basketball is doing well, or you know, um, a couple of years ago the women's basketball did really well, so we we were we were following that, and so we were Florida State fans. But you know, a lot of times we talk about Florida State, it's it's about the football team. Sure. What is a great movie, and what is a terrible movie? I just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once about two weeks ago. Great movie. Yeah. Watched it with my wife, and she had no idea what it was about. And so when we just turned it on, she was like, "What is this?" Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know about a great, uh, a terrible movie, but um, what was it called? It wasn't a movie; it was a show. 
it was on Netflix a couple weeks, like a month ago. It's called Kaleidoscope. It was where like, it was that thing where you could start it at any episode and it was like red, green, orange, yellow. Oh, no, I know games. I'm not familiar with this. Yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting concept, but it like, it made the storytelling not very good, ah, you know? And I just didn't, it was kind of, people were like, this is amazing. I was like, I don't, I watched it and I was, and I actually don't watch a lot of like shows and TV or anything like that, but wasn't, wasn't impressed. Let's say that. Gotcha. Not impressed. Fair enough. All right. What is a favorite book? I was really interested, probably like one of the times it was when I was on drum corps tour, um, mm-hmm. when I was really interested in the, the writings of Chuck Palahniuk, which is the oh, author yeah. of fight club. Mm-hmm. And we had like a book exchanged around the bus. And so like we would, we actually basically would buy all the books. And so I was really interested in this book by Chuck Palahniuk called rant, which was just like, what is going on here? And that also like introduced me to his other books. Um, which was really cool. So let's say rant by Chuck Palahniuk. What was so out? It, or it was like, it, it was like, okay. So it was like, it was started one way and mm-hmm. it was like, okay, this is where I'm thinking the book was going to go. And then it would get to a certain spot where it started going to all this like time travel and like crazy stuff that you had no idea what it was about. And like, it, you did not see coming and it completely flipped it around, you know? So that's that. I don't want to give away too much. Sure. No, no, I got you. It was just like when we were on tour on the bus, we would all be reading it. And then you could tell when someone got to that point and you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? And then you hear yeah. there, it's just got there. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's kind of how it was on the bus <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's very cool. Uh, where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Uh, Seattle, Pacific Northwest. We're thinking about doing that this summer. I don't know if it'll work out, but we haven't, I've never been out there. Um, interested in going there. So hey, maybe we'll do that. Just because it's Seattle and you just want to see the, I area. don't know. I, I don't necessarily know Seattle, but that's just something that's so like Pacific Northwest. Let's say that. Yeah. I've never seen, I haven't spent a lot of time on the West coast. I spent mm-hmm. some time in California, but just specifically the Pacific Northwest. I don't know ex- exactly where, but just up there. So, cause that's one of the, probably one of the only parts of the country I haven't seen. Oh, you should, you should go to Vancouver while you're up there, by the way. Okay. Yeah. It's awesome. Particularly in the summer. If you're going to summer, go there. When you travel back to Greenville, mm-hmm. where is somewhere that you like have to get food at, or it's like not a successful trip. Or you're like, I won't even Mm. talk to family. I have to get this, like, let me get this now. And then I can go see people and I'll be fine. A couple places. There are a lot of places there then. Yeah. Sully Steamers in downtown Greenville. It's a steamed bagel place. It's kind of become a little bit of a chain, but still really good. Um, Just Falls Park going downtown Greenville. Sure. There's my, one of my favorite barbecue places called Charlie's Barbecue, which is in Greer, South Carolina off Pelham Road. Um, Just good chopped pulled pork you know um texas is all about the brisket but this is yep. just really good pulled pork if we're out that way we got to go to a cookout which is a fast food chain yeah yeah um because we don't have those here you know there's a lot of places i mean just downtown downtown's always changing man. uh there's just a really good crepe place out in travelers rest south carolina which is where Furman is um yeah. called tandem really great um we like to go to the sierra nevada brewery up in Asheville, which is really neat nice. Huge facility, great place. What is either the strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? 
I don't know if this is the strangest, but it's just something that just came up. Sure. I haven't thought of this in a long, long, long time. When I was at Brevard Music Center, this was back in like 2007. I remember that we, they wanted us, we were, they were like, let's work up a bunch of xylophone rags. We're going to play for this concert and we're going to play for these people and like they're big donors. <clears throat> well, we thought it was going to be like, you know, a concert and, but it turned out like these people just basically wanted us to come out to their house and play a bunch of xylophone rags. <laughs> so we were basically playing for like an elderly couple and there's like 15 percussionists just switching off marimbas and xylophones playing xylophone rags in, in, North, in the mountains of North Carolina. I was like, this is, uh, that's, that's <laughs> just, for, like, just for two people. Yeah. It was just like two people. It was like a, it was like a, a elderly couple. They're just apparently big donors. And they didn't tell us that we thought, it, and I actually, I don't think they knew, um, but there's something else. Like, this is really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the one that kind of sticks out in my mind. I mean, <laughs> done, done, yeah, I mean, you've done some questionable gigs and some weird things, but like, you know, that was just like, what are we doing here? We trekked <laughs> this marimbas and xylophone up through the mountains of North Carolina to play xylophone rags for these 70 year old couple. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> for like an hour. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably took longer. You probably set up longer to, yeah. than you even played. I would bet. Yeah, yeah that many people. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, I definitely did. That's probably the weirdest one. <laughs> That's wild. All right, uh, uh, last question, Ben. Uh, what one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, or visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? I would probably go back to just just what's sticking my brain right now. Sure. Um, the, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once, which was just super cool and super interesting and like so out there and absurdist that it was just, I was like, oh man, how, how, what would music look like if it was like this, you know? And I'm sure there's answers out there, but, um, we just, I've just been thinking about this a lot. And I think since I brought it up earlier, I was really thinking about it. Um, but yeah, probably everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, what do you mean by like if music sounded like this so if so like it's that the movie is kind of like in the absurdist not too up on film genre where it just it's almost like so uh, like the things that happen are so absurd Mm -hmm. but it still comes across as a coherent musical or thought music or thought sorry not music but coherent thought or idea or visual image yeah and you understand why they're doing it like um and and so like if 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 there's a way that how how could um you know what would music could music also do that and um i think music a lot of times and you know would imitate art and visual art specifically and is the or is there is there i don't know there might be it might be just something i'm not thinking of um to to imitate the absurdist movement or something like that so and it, what i'm thinking about is like impressionism mm-hmm. expressionism and kind of just think about that and i thought that was really neat um that movie was just really interesting and and, and probably something I, sh- I should watch again but haven't found the time yet yeah so much going on in that movie too yeah of course it's just yeah every everything is just so one after another and it's like you can't you don't think it can get crazy and then it's just like these two rocks talking to each other and you're like what is going on <laughs> um <laughs> yeah or the, the the um was it the hot dog fingers or, you know yeah the hot dog fingers yeah <laughs> it just doesn't you just yeah it's every time you think it can't get crazier more absurd it does and yeah but it still makes sense you know 
Yeah. There's some points my wife's like, what are we watching? And then, <laughs> but it's like a heartfelt movie that has a clear yeah. message and really thought out plot, I think. And yeah. so I think that's why people love it. And the acting is, is great too. So yeah. Ben, we're done. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun talking to you as well. A lot of fun talking to Ben here in this conversation. I wish him the best of luck going forward in Kingsville and look forward to meeting him in person very soon. Thank you, Ben. This week's rave is the 2022 film Living, starring Bill Nye, written by Kazuo Ishiguro, and based on a screenplay by Akira Kurosawa, and directed by Oliver Hermanis. Nominated for two Oscars for both Nye and Ishiguro, and playing now in theaters. Living is based on a very well-regarded previous film from 1952, Ikiru written and directed by legendary filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. The story follows an older gentleman whose dead-end job is as a relatively unimportant local government desk worker. He finds out that he has a terminal illness and makes the decision, upon receiving that diagnosis, that he needs to find some purpose for the rest of his days and makes some sudden, unexpected changes. The setting for both Living and Ikiru are in the early 1950s, just after World War II, in societies of Japan and the UK, where a system of manners is very strong and complex, and not disturbing anyone with your problems, even if they are as serious as a terminal illness, seen as the right move. And this film is about someone who's lived their life that way and makes the decision to change. Both Living and Ikiru are incredibly understated, as is the fantastic performance by Bill Nye in the lead role as Mr. Williams. Within this oppressive, underwhelming life, Nye has to portray someone going through all of the challenging emotions of devastating personal news and someone who has dealt with tragedy earlier in his life and have it only slightly bubble up to the surface. And if you think about it, you're so used to seeing roles where someone gets to really act out. But here, Nahi has to be both entirely present and have it be nearly unnoticeable. And he's able to portray such emotions in this wonderful fashion. The direction of the film is also well done. And it is filled with wonderful images and shots throughout, including... The usage in one shot of one of my favorite classical musical pieces of all time, Rafe Vaughn Williams' Fantasia on a Theme of Thomas Tallis. I'd say more, but I don't want to give it away and just tell you, you need to check it out. It's an excellent and beautiful movie and one that is well worth your time. Again, featuring Bill Nye, a wonderful cast and great writing and direction, Seek Out and See Living. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there 
on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.